I mean, I could talk about the different Argentine Trotskyist tendencies all day, <laughs> um, but let's pivot to Cuba and Che Guevara. Uh, mm-hmm. You you put out a video on your YouTube channel called uh, "Shirt Man Bad," uh, <laughs> that just it, it 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 counters some of the um, overt propaganda against Che Guevara, trying to uh, you know push back on this idea that. People who wear Che Guevara T-shirts uh, don't realize they're supporting a, you know, a blood-soaked uh, tyrant or whatever. So let's let's get into that topic by first talking about who Che Guevara was and how he ended up being this revolutionary icon. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a rich kid from Argentina who played rugby, and basically he would be everything that I hated if I met him when he was twenty years old. And you think he was a jock? He absolutely. He was. He was not just a jock. He was a cheto. He was a tincho. It's the worst kind of cheto. I saw him as more of a asthmatic. It's like the Argentine nerd. Chad. I, I saw him more as an asthmatic nerd who loves sci-fi. But I guess you <laughs> could be both of those things. You can be asthmatic and a jock. I mean, he played rugby. You don't play rugby in Argentina unless you're like you know a part of the old boys club. Mm, okay. So how did he become a dirty hippie pinko? Well, I mean, the traditional narrative is that. You know, the motorcycle diaries narrative where where he, he he was studying to become a doctor and he went on like a road trip across Latin America with his friend and he had a political awakening on this trip that changed who he was completely. And I mean that's at least what he wrote. So I mean, if we're going by general historical standards of evidence, that's pretty you know, that's pretty cut and dry, right? So and then from then on, he seems to just have changed trajectory completely and become completely obsessed with revolution, which is admirable. So, yeah, he's a class trader, the best kind. Mm-hmm. And the incident for, for how he became truly uh, interested in revolution was he was, uh, was he studying or uh, was he studying medicine in, in Guatemala uh, when the, the coup against our Benz occurred? Um, I think he was done studying medicine. I don't. I don't remember exactly why he was in Guatemala. I think he was interested in the politics of of Arbenz, Arbenz's movement there, mm-hmm. and he was there when the coup occurred. And he was actually, I believe that he was he was targeted, so he got run the fuck away. He was there with um his first wife, who was I believe a Peruvian lady. What was his name? Her name again? I forget. But that, was that Hilda or was that the Cuban one? Hilda, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was there with her, and um, they got the fuck out of there to Mexico, I believe, and that's where they eventually met Fidel Castro. Yeah, and uh, just for the rest of his time in Mexico, he was training uh, for this, basically to take a boat back to Cuba, because Castro was already in exile from Cuba after launching a, an insurrection. Um, a, a very ill-fated and ill-conceived insurrection. He was, he went to Mexico in exile and basically tried to raise this small guerrilla force to to retake the island. And it's really interesting to read about this because it doesn't sound like something that could work. Just yeah, like it sounds getting, like getting all like your friends together. Story. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, they had some some network on the island that was like ready to go. 
when they landed, but it, it wasn't particularly large. Um, yeah, and when they landed, they lost most of their dudes immediately because they knew that the Batista's forces knew that they were coming. So I think about 70 of them survived the ambush only. Yeah, Che got shot almost immediately, right? Like he, he yeah. like stepped off the yacht and he, and he thought he was dead. Yeah, so 70 guys escaped and somehow managed to managed to raise enough of a force from peasants in the jungle and stuff to overthrow a government. Like, that's ridiculous. It really is. And um, one of the books you referenced in your video is uh, Che by John Anderson, mm -hmm. um, which is an amazing book. Really great read. It's thick, but, like, you, it, you go through it super fast. And there's just some really incredible war stories in there. Like, uh, one of my favorites is the, the Siege of Santa Clara, which is like really mm -hmm. the the end. Like once they once uh, Che's uh, unit takes Santa Clara, Havana like the Batista knows Havana's next, and he he flees the country. That's pretty much the end of the war. Yeah. Um. But the the last obstacle they had to overcome was this armored train that went that ferried troops and uh, armament between Havana and Santa Clara, and basically they the the rebels didn't have any weaponry that could get into this train so what they did was they made like hundreds of molotov cocktails and threw them all at the train at the same time so it was just so hot inside the train that the soldiers <laughs> just got out and surrendered i mean they literally won this battle with molotov cocktails it's a great story yeah there's a lot of great stories from santa clara you can also go and see that train they still have it like right where it crashed that's awesome santa clara. Uh, uh, one other great story is, is uh, like a week later when they march into Havana and the uh, the Cuban army capitulates uh, and is forced to uh, kind of salute Che as their new leader. He says, um, he introduces them to the rebels and he says, uh, this will be a great exchange. You can teach my troops how to, to march and we'll teach you how to fight. <laughs> um, and so stuff like that, like witty, heroic uh, you know, charismatic, romantic stories is, is part of what made Che so popular. Uh, but also he was one of the most ideologically Marxist and socialist figures in the rebel army. Castro himself was more considered himself a humanist or a populist or a nationalist revolutionary. Yeah. Guevara was really the, the ideological Marxist. Some kind of lazy historians or cynical historians have seen Guevara as the link between uh, the you know, uh, the humanist elements of the or anti tyrannical elements of the revolution and the uh, the way it got folded into Stalinism and, and Soviet uh, communism. But but that's not really fair. Do you want to talk a little about Guevara's ideology and, and how it relates to the uh, the emergence of the Cuban state? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Che's ideology evolved a lot over his first couple of years in as a politician because he didn't really want to be a politician. There's there's a story that's like a 99% fake, but it kind of emphasizes how he got into where he was. The story goes that Che Guevara, you know, that like after the revolution, they were trying to form the new the ministry of government, and someone asks, "Is anyone here an an, an economist?" An economist, and and Che raised his hand because he thought they said communist, and then suddenly he was put put in as the head of the central bank and the minister <laughs> of industries like he didn't know he okay to be fair he didn't know what he was doing but he's also you know i i'm not sure why he agreed to be put in this position but i mean he did a good job for someone who didn't know what the fuck they were doing and um 
you know, he's commonly painted as like sort of a Stalinist economically, but I think that he was kind of, I mean, he, he was definitely like, he was definitely sort of believed in that sort of state capitalism at least to start out on, but it was not the same as the Soviet system. For example, in the Soviet Union, state, em- state enterprises competed, whereas Che was a very loud voice in Cuba for the opposite of that. Like he wanted state enterprises to all or like, you know, share everything they have and help each other out rather than competing with each other. Because that kind of went by, you know, the idea that competition spurs innovation and product and productivity. But he didn't really believe that. And there was there were a lot of like internal internal battles within the Cuban government with like Che on one side and other people on the other side on how the Cuban economy should be run. And um, he ended up losing out in the end, and that's part of why he fucked off and went to start and start revolutions, which people don't really say. Like, he's painted as some sort of hardline Stalinist who, I mean, initially, yeah, he, he was a big part of the relationship with the USSR, but a couple of years later, he was definitely regretting that. Yeah. Um, and th- this is what gets... Uh, really interesting and complicated about the story is that a major faction of the new Cuban government was the Partido Socialista Popular, the PSP, who were the effectively the Cuban Communist Party and the uh, the, the face of Soviet influence in the country, led by Blas Roca. And they basically wanted to set up Cuba as a, um, you know, in, basically a, a, not as a communist country, or as a threat to the United States, but something that could be more or less a stable foothold in Latin America. Uh, so, for instance, they the they didn't want uh, in 1960 Castro nationalizes a lot of key industries, including industries owned by the United States, mm-hmm. and the Communist Party did not want him to do that. They they wanted him to uh, chill out and basically appease the United States. They had a policy of peaceful coexistence. Um, and and Castro basically went far to the left of what the communists preferred, uh, and Che's uh, Che's uh, policies as as uh, industry minister also took on a similar tone, where uh, the PSP controlled the the agriculture, and they wanted to run it as something like more along the lines of worker self management, mm-hmm. um, but Che saw this as being you know more or less liberal or capitalistic, like what you're describing. And he wanted basically, you know, workers wouldn't be working uh, for th- there's not going to be this enmity between the workers and the economy. Revolutionary enthusiasm is going to make workers work. And it's not going to be about, uh, you know, uh, higher wages for higher productivity or whatever. Um, and but, so these these conflicts also had a lot to do with the repression um, that set in in the Cuban state. The PSP was uh largely in control of the security apparatus, and they quickly moved against uh, dissident elements of the of the revolution. Uh, I believe the the anarchists were first after they, you know, after they uh, repressed the, el- the the elements of the Batista government who had been, you know, torturing and um, and killing revolutionaries for decades. They went after the anarchists and then they went after the Trotskyists um, and from from these moments and also from the ex- execution of like uh, of of guerrilla of people who who claim they are part of a guerrilla movement but use that as a uh, as a way to be bandits basically in the countryside some of those people were executed. Um, this is where a lot of the stories of Che Guevara being a tyrant or 
um, a torturer come from? And uh, so in your video, you go through this kind of in detail, but do you want to talk a little bit about those those misperceptions and how you see Che's role in the in the repression uh, more accurately? Mm -hmm. Well, I, f I think the last time where Che really had sort of power over people's lives per se was when he was the I forget the exact name of his position, but he he was overseeing some of the trials in La Cabana, which is the mythical Cuban death prison where apparently they genocided the half the population or something. So he had a role there, which was as the part of sort of like a U.S. governor, like he oversaw appeals and stuff like that. He wasn't directly involved in the trials. I mean, he definitely agreed with a lot of the sentences and stuff. But the thing is, in La Cabana, the people who were sentenced there, I mean, they were definitely summary-ish trials, but they tried to do what they could with what they had because, you know, we're talking a revolution where the professional class was fleeing the country. They didn't exactly have judges on hand ready to objectively judge these trials or anything. But the people they tried there, they at least definitely thought that they were war criminals and stuff like that because Che oversaw the trials of the 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 military and the police officers he didn't oversee the trials of civilians no civilians were murdered murdered or ah oh, there's there's my Freudian slip were executed only mm. only former military and police who were at least from at least from what they said they thought that they were torturers and war criminals and stuff like that so Che Che didn't didn't oversee the trials he signed off on the sentences. And from what we know, he didn't pardon a single person. So, I mean, you could look at that as a bad thing. But he definitely believed in what he was doing. But, I mean, it's kind of a stretch to say that um, the guy who signed off on the sentences without even passing them is the guy who's responsible for what happened to these people. And also it's kind of a stretch to say that they were innocent victims of the evil tyrant Che Guevara. I forgot which the what the uh, publication was, but you you are mostly referring to this one article that that will use like names of certain figures and like they'll paint them as like an innocent peasant or yeah it's um uh, it's this it's this Miami based sort of um archive which is definitely it's definitely the most like the most thorough archive of people who died during and after the Cuban Revolution that I've seen um but you know they have these subtle biases where, where like they try, they try, they don't just like list the names and tell you what happened. They leave things out to try and make, to try and make these people seem as innocent as possible. And, and they go with the most like, um, like fervous, like, you know, anti, anti-revolutionary, um, take on like how they died and stuff like that. So, so, you know, you'll see an entry and it's like, and it's like Che Guevara ordered this man to be executed during during the war in the Sierra or whatever, which was like where they were mainly fighting in the Sierra Maestra. And, um, you, you know, so you see that and it's like, oh, that's terrible. I think I'll go look at the source and see for myself if what they're saying is true. And they leave out the fact that, you know, the guy was executed because he was going around and raping and murdering women or something like that. So they kind of have to stretch it to, to really to really fit the narrative that Che Guevara was some sort of genocidal maniac. I mean, I'm definitely uncomfortable with how much he seemed to like war and stuff. But if you really look at it, like by the standards of the times, he he wasn't really doing anything out of the ordinary.